has given us lots of iconic statements. You know, beyond the movie itself, beyond the commercial itself, some of these statements have just been used in other areas of life. We remember Dorothy saying to Toto, we're not in Kansas anymore. <clears throat> I've used that phrase several times. We think of, may the force be with you. I know football teams that would use that phrase before they went out on the field. May the force be with you. I know parents who told their kids going off to college, remember E.T., call home. There's a lot of phrases like that. M&Ms, melts in your mouth and not your hands. That's not true because I got a bunch of grandkids and they hold them too tight. And I got to go wash their hands. Like a good neighbor is State Farm. AT&T had a commercial a few years ago. It's about this guy getting his first tattoo. It's kind of a seedy place where he was going. And you could tell the guy was very nervous. And as he talks to this tattoo artist, the tattoo artist says, it will be okay. He says, don't you mean it's going to be great? He says, whatever. And then he takes the needle, puts it on his shoulder, getting <clears throat> ready to do the tattoo. And he says, aren't you supposed to draw it first? And then comes our iconic statement. And we're going to use that a lot today in our lesson. He says, stay in your own lane, bro. Stay in your own lane. And what that really meant by, first of all, is I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. So just kind of be hushed and be quiet because I know what I'm doing. But that statement also reminds us that there are lanes. We got to stay in our lane. Certain things are only proper and right when they stay in the right lane. We've been doing a series here for several weeks. We've got just a few more after this. We're going to continue as we talked about the church you read about in the Bible. We've been emphasizing some great fundamentals. We're talking about God's church, God's work, God's way. And if you've missed any of these, we encourage you to connect with these. What we do is from the morning sermons, we then come back in the evening as Jason and I get together what we call the chair series, and we just kind of stretch it a little bit more and talk about these things. Last week in this series, we talked about the mission of the church. Why church? What's the church all about? What's it supposed to do? And it really came down to four statements. Number one, to worship God, as we're doing today. Purpose of the church is to make disciples. Purpose of the church is to equip those disciples or train those disciples to serve. And then the church is to take care of the church. By that, I'm not meaning the structure. I'm meaning the people. That's the concept. Last Sunday evening, we talked about the subject of evangelism. How does a church do evangelism? Remembering, stay in your lane, bro, because there's things that the world does. We have to see what God's church does. We're interested in being God's church, doing God's work, God's way. Well, today as we continue with this series, we move to the subject of the needy. And this time of year, our hearts really think about the needy people. You can hardly go to a store today without seeing somebody with a red kettle and a bell out front ringing that bell. And it makes you think about that. You drive up to intersections and there's this guy with a cardboard sign that says, need money or need food or will work for food. And we think about those concepts. And it leads us to this series we're doing. And that is, what is the role of the church in helping the needy? The needy around us? The needy in this country, the needy worldwide. 
What is it that God expects, God wants the church to do? Now, this evening, we're going to come back and talk about this a little bit more from what I've kind of introduced in our lesson. We're going to stretch a little bit more and talk about these things. The writer Philip Yancey, in his book on prayer, wrote this. He says, while writing this book, I've made several trips to several different countries. I visited a church in South Africa, 35,000 members strong, which runs outreach programs, including a prison ministry, a hospital, a rehab farm for addicts. A few months later, in Wisconsin, I attended a conference on ministry to women in prostitution that attracted representatives from 30 different nations. They work to counter illegal sex trafficking and also to liberate women from prostitution. From there, I went to the Salvation Army Conference, where I heard stories about helping the downtrodden. Then to Roanoke, Virginia, where I visited a sprawling campus, a complex that began as a rescue mission and through the help of 60 churches, grew into a shelter, education center, and a clinic. Now, is that what we're supposed to do? That's interesting. Powerful things going on there. And so what we need to see is what is God's work, God's way, as we think about these things. Many of the older members among us, younger members won't even believe this. But you remember years ago, you pull up to what was called a gas station. You ran over this little rubber hose and a little bell rang. A man came out to your car and said, how much gas do you want? And you'd say about $5 because back then it'd fill up your whole tank. And he'd say, can I check your oil? And then on you went because it was a gas station. That gas station evolved until what we call a full convenience center. You pull in, you pump your own gas, you go inside, you can buy milk, you can buy diapers, you can buy aspirin, you can buy anything you want. There's ATM machines if you need more money. It is an all-service place now. It takes care of all of your needs. And some places... And some thinking today, that's the way the church should be. The church should have a daycare center for our little ones. It should run a school for our school kids. It should build hospitals overseas. It should provide housing, job training, sending money to disaster places. It should provide families who cannot afford Christmases. All those concepts are found within that idea. Now, as we begin our lesson, we need to understand God has always been concerned about the welfare of mankind. Let's just run through some verses to begin with. In the book of Leviticus, it says, Now when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very corners of your field. Neither shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, nor shall you glean from the vineyards, nor shall you gather the fallen fruit from your vineyard. You shall leave them to the needy and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. God was concerned about the poor in that area. And so when the farmers harvested, they didn't harvest the corners. They left that there so others could come and they could get the needs that they have. Deuteronomy says it this way. It says, when you reap your harvest in your field and forgotten a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the alien. Stop there for a minute. Alien is not out of space. It's non-Israel. Here's an Egyptian going from point A to point B, and he has no food, he has no money, and God's going to provide for him. He is the alien. He's not of Israel. The alien, the orphan, the widow, in order that the Lord your God may bless you in the work of your hands. You shall beat your olive tree when you, 
but you shall not go over the bowls again. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, for the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not go over it again. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, for the widow. What's God saying is, I'm making provisions for the poor. Why? God cares. We see these verses in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 19, he who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his good deed. In chapter 21, he who shuts his ear to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be answered. Once again, Proverbs 28, he who gives to the poor will never want, but he who shuts his eyes will have many curses. We come to the New Testament, again, we see this concept. Jesus, as he talked about how to pray, Pray, give us this day our daily bread, recognizing the blessings coming from heaven. The chapter before, he talks about how God sends his son and the rain upon the righteous and the unrighteous. It's not just for certain people, but for all people. God is generous to all. And the occasion where we find in the Gospels, Jesus feeding the 5,000 illustrates that God cares. And so the question before us this morning is, what does God expect the church to do? What are we supposed to do concerning those who are in need? And before us are two thoughts. Who gets helped and who does the helping? Now, we need to begin with a principle. And this principle is very important for you to see and appreciate. And we want to run through these verses to look at this before we get to Acts 11. There is a difference between the individual Christian and the church. This morning we have the church gathered together. It's not the same thing as just me. I'm not the church. I'm a part of this church. I'm a member of this church. I myself am not the church. There's a difference between the individual and the church. So let's look at some verses that illustrate that. Matthew chapter 18. Now if your brother sins, and most contexts will say against you, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. If he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every matter may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, he is to be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. There is the individual, you. There is a group of people, two or three. And then there is the church. And so what we see from this is one person is not the church. In this room right now, we have many men, many women who own their own businesses. Can a church run a business? If the individual is the same as the church, you can run a business. Why can't the church? Because one is not the same as the other. Or in the words of Miss Roger, stay in your lane, bro. There's a lane. We have to stay in there. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 34. If anyone is hungry... Have them eat at home so that you do not come together for judgment. As to the remaining matters, I will give instructions when I come. Once again, there's a difference between our homes and our assemblies. There's a difference between the individual and the church. In the book of Acts in chapter 5, when we talk about Ananias and Sapphira, while remained and sold did not remain your own. And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it you conceive this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. There is a difference in our money, my money, and the collected money. Or we may say the church's money. And so, so those are some principles we're going to see expanded now in our lesson. 
So from the very first page where we read about the church in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, we see from the very early beginnings they were taking care of their own needs. Acts 2 verse 44, and all that and all the believers were together and had things in common, and they would sell property and possessions and share them with all to the extent that anyone had need. Who did they take care of? They, take care, they took care of themselves. Remembering, what's the purpose of the church? Worship God. Make disciples. Train disciples. Take care of the church. Two pages later, Acts chapter 4. For there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land, of houses, would sell and bring the proceeds of the sales, lay them at the apostles' feet. They would be distributed to each to the extent that they had any need. And it talks about Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, which is translated, who is called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means sons of encouragement, owned a tract of land, so he sold it, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. What are they doing? They're taking care of the needs among them. Now, there are occasions when the needs was greater than that one church could take care of. So if you've got your Bible now, Acts chapter 11. Let's read this. If you've got your note card, it's listed there in your note card. And then we're going to pull out some points from Acts chapter 11. Begins in verse 27, Acts 11. Now at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. This took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution to the, of the relief to the brethren living in Judea. This they did, sending in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. Now, some things I want you to notice. Number one, the need was something beyond their control. There was a famine. You can't control famines. You can't control the rain or the lack of rain. There was a famine in the land, and there were brethren who became in need. Now, from this, I'm going to talk about two things. There is personal responsibility. I went out on Black Friday. I usually don't do that too much, but I went out on Black Friday. I went to Best Buy. Now, I don't understand why they can't find chips and cars, but when you go to Best Buy, you almost fall down because there's so many TV sets. I mean, there's just TV sets everywhere. So let's say Mr. Roger gets over there, and my eyes get big. Oh, my. Big. Bigger. Biggest. And I just load up 15 TVs. I mean, I'm going to put them everywhere. I'm going to put a TV in my garage. I'm going to put a TV on my ceiling so I don't have to look up. I'm going to put a TV in my bathroom. I'm going to put a TV in my shower. I'm going to just put all these TVs everywhere. I'm going to take out a Best Buy credit card so I get more TVs. All these TVs. Man, this is going to be great. January comes. And here comes my charge bill. And all of a sudden, I got a problem. I can't afford all these 15 TVs. So I call our shepherds. I'm going to call Brent over here. All of our, all of our elders are sweet. They're nice. If Brent was a potato, he'd be a sweet potato. That's just the way he is. And I say, oh, Brent, I got a problem here. He said, what is it, Roger? I said, I got bills I can't pay. He said, why, why can't you pay them? Well, I got all these TV sets. 
His next question would be, there's just you and Debbie. Why do you need all these TV sets? Do you need a TV set on your ceiling, he'd ask me? I'd say, well, I think I do. Do you need a TV set in your shower? Well, I kind of thought I did. I got all these TV sets, and now I can't pay for them. Let the church help me. No. That's not Acts 11. You see, we talk about personal responsibility. We talk about being financially responsible. We're talking about paying our money and our debts as we should. We're not talking about poor money management. To this passage, we'd add 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 10. It says, for even when we used to be, we used to give this order, if anyone will not work, neither let him eat. The state of Kentucky leads the country in this new movement. It's called the Great Resignation. In mass, people are just quitting their jobs. Now, you want to quit your job? That's your right. You better have a little stockpile of money to get, get you through there. Better have another job lined up if you don't have that stockpile of money. So I call him a sweet potato over here. I said, Brent, I've been doing this for 41 years. I quit preaching. I just quit. But since I quit, I, got, I still got some bills. Think the church can help me? First thing he says, you shouldn't have quit, should you? You see, personal responsibility. Acts 11 is not about somebody who just says, you know what? I want to just stay home and binge TV. All I want to do is watch. I don't want to work. I want the church to take care of me. Wouldn't that be awesome? It's not biblical. You're going to quit your job. You better have a way to take care of yourself. Now, the Bible also teaches a secondary point here. It teaches us that there's a responsibility we have with our families. In the book of 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 4, it says, But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. You have some issues in the family. You got grandma, grandpa, you got mom and dad, and they can't take care of themselves. It goes first to family. Within the same chapter, verse 16, if any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, let her assist them, and let not the church be burdened, so it may assist those who are widows indeed. We have responsibility to our family. You're living paycheck to paycheck. You're not going to be able to do that. When my kids are down, we go out to eat. I always buy their meals. They all have good jobs now. And I, and I always tell them the same line. They know it so much, and quote me now. I said, I can do this now, but remember me when I'm old, and maybe next week. But take care of me. That's what the Bible teaches. So when we go back to Acts 11, we begin by saying there was, there was an issue beyond their control. The famine came. It wasn't lack of overspending. It wasn't a lack of budgeting right. It wasn't because they were sitting down and said, you know what, I don't like to work, I'm going to stay home. That wasn't the issue. The issue was something greater than they were. Second principle we learned from Acts 11. The church at Antioch sent money to the church at Jerusalem to help the needy. This is a Gentile church sending money to a Jewish church. This is huge. The money that was sent was sent directly to Jerusalem. It wasn't sent to Ephesus to go to Jerusalem. It wasn't sent to Corinth to go to Jerusalem. It went directly to the need. There was no one in between these things. 
also know and also appreciate this was not a loan. The church is not in the banking business. You do not pay this back in six months with interest. This is not something that was to be considered that. This is the way God has set this up to help each other. One of the missions of the church is for the church to help the church. This is something that we see here. Then thirdly, what we see here, the money was for the brethren in need. Now let's go back to Acts 11. I want you to notice two things in our context here. Acts chapter 11 once again. In 27, the prophet said at Antioch that there's going to be a great famine, verse 28, all over the world. This took place in the reign of Claudius. Verse 29, and in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren. Well, stop there. What about a next-door neighbor who wasn't a brethren? What about the next-door neighbor who wasn't a Christian? Wasn't the famine affecting him? Yes, it was. Well, why didn't they send money for everybody in Jerusalem? Because everybody was affected by this. Stay in your lane, bro. Stay in your lane. God designed the church to help the church. Now, let me show you this. Romans chapter 15. Verse 25, 26, and 27. But now, Paul says, I'm going to Jerusalem, serving the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints. Do you see that? Not just for the poor in Jerusalem, the poor who are Christians. The church takes care of the church. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, now, brothers and sisters, we make known to you the grace of God, which has been given to the churches of Macedonia, that in great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave voluntarily, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of who? The saints. Are you seeing a pattern here? Over and over, the church must stay in its lane. 1 Corinthians 16, now concerning the collection, who for the saints? There is a direct pattern we see here in the New Testament concerning these things. And so when we think about what can the church do to help the needy, it helps the needy among us, and when there's a needy Church, a needy Christian in another congregation that cannot be helped by them. This congregation in the past has sent money to places where there was hurricanes. Brethren lost their homes. They sent it for the brethren. That's the thing. Now that raises a question. What about all those people who are not Christians? Because more people who are not Christians than are Christians. What about those people? Well, God has a lane. We need to see this. In the book of Luke, in chapter 6, verse, or rather Luke 10, verse 36, we read about the good Samaritan. And you remember the story. There's three men. There was a priest. There was a Levite. And there was a Samaritan. There was an injured man who had been robbed on that road from Jericho to Jerusalem. The priest walked on the other side. Not my concern. The Levite walked on the other side. 
not my concern. The good Samaritan came over, bandaged up his wounds, put him on his donkey, took him to town, left some money, and what did he do? He took care of his needs. Now, in your Bibles, if you will, turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25. What we're seeing is, and we're going to go through several more verses here, what we're seeing is there's a responsibility upon the individual Christian. As we said, there's a difference between the individual and the church. The church has a lane. It's got to stay in that lane. But the individual, the individual has special responsibilities. So here in Matthew 25, it begins verse 31. It says in this regards, when the Son of Man comes in his glory with all his angels with him, and he'll sit on his glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he'll separate them one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you who are blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom of heaven prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. Who's you? It's not the church. We're not judged as a church. This is talking about the judgment scene. And the judgment scene, God's not going to say, okay, from the 1940s to the 1970s, Charlestown Road come up here. Now, from the 1971s to 2021, Charlestown Road, now you all come up here. It doesn't work that way. We're judged individually, one by one. And what we're seeing here is God has a lane for Christians. I can't say, well, I put some money in the basket Sunday morning, and that takes care of it. My duty is done. No, it's not. You have a heart and you care. You're going to see that this passage applies to all of us. I was hungry. You gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me a drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison. You visited me. Who did that? It was the disciples who loved the Lord. Now let's look at another passage. James chapter 1. And I want you to turn over here because we've got a couple other James verses in this chapter I want you to look at. But James chapter 1, verse 27, pure, undefiled religion, the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. This is one of the passages that our brethren have used to build, maintain, and sustain orphans' homes. They pull money from, from contributions to do this. The context is not a church. The context is individuals. So when there's people out there who are needy, I know somebody who's a co-worker and she has needs. This applies to me as an individual. James 1 now, let's go back to verse 26 if you will. James chapter 1. I want you to see this in your own Bibles as we talk about who this is talking about. Getting the right lanes is important. Verse 26, if anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Does the church have a tongue? What is the tongue of Charlestown Road? Well, we don't have a tongue. I have a tongue. You have a tongue. You say things. I say things. He's talking about the individual here. Look at the next verse, verse 25. But one who looks intently in the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. He's not talking about the church. 
He's talking about the individual. There is a difference between the individual and the church. Stay in your lane. Now, go back up to verse 22, James 1. Prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and does not, and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. For once he's looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. All through this trickling down, he's talking about the individual Christian and his responsibility. What about the needy in this community who are not Christians? There's a lane the church has to stay in. But there's a lane I can travel, and that's what I want you to see. Let, look at it yet another verse, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to who? All people. All people. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. So me as an individual, I can help anybody. The church has restrictions. The church is to help Christians. So over here in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to, to do good, be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share. So when we're focusing upon God's church, God's work, God's way, there is a specific pattern the Bible shows us about who the church can help. Now, I see this, plain Bible verses, but I don't know what to do. I drive up to these intersections, and there's these guys holding these cardboard signs. I don't know if they're legit or not. I've seen TV shows that have followed some of these people. They've come out of big houses. They put on trashy clothes. They pick up a cardboard sign that they hide in their shrubs, and they go stand on the corner, and they get free cash all day long. Then they go back home to a nice house. Those are scam artists. You and I don't know. So what am I supposed to do? There's organizations like Red Cross, and you can give to things like that, but it's so top-heavy that so much of the money you give goes to administration, goes to salaries. It's not going to really help anybody. So I see these passages and I understand that as a church, we can only help brethren. That's what the Bible says. But what about the needy in this community? What can I do? What about the needy worldwide? Let me give you three illustrations, and then we'll wrap this up. When I lived in Kansas City, we had a black lady by the name of Vivian. Vivian lived in the inner city of Kansas City. She always loved and cared about her, co her fellow neighbors. The neighbors were poverty stricken. And every year, about this time of year, Vivian would come in with a list of names, her neighbors, and here's what they need. And some of us who could would take a family and we'd just go get those things and give them to Vivian and she'd take care of those things. There was somebody who saw what these passages taught. She never came to the church and said, why doesn't this church do some things? Because they understood that there was a lane and you've got to stay in that lane for the church. But as an individual, we can do these things. Sacred Selections is an organization that helps members of the Church of Christ adopt children. 
I'm familiar with this because I have three grandchildren who were adopted from foreign countries. Very, very expensive. And what Sacred Selection does is it pulls money, not from many churches, but from individuals to help a young couple be able to be able to adopt a child, change that child's spiritual destiny by helping them. Now, am I saying you should do that? No, I'm not. But I'm saying that sometimes we see what we can't do. Well, we can't do this, and we can't do this. And James 1.27 says we don't do the orphans, and so we don't, we don't, we don't. But what do we do? Just this past week, our own Nathan and Stephanie Soliday, with the good hearts that they have, decided to send some money to Zimbabwe, get some Bibles there, get some food there to the needy Christians. And if you like to, if that's something that touches your heart, I'd say go talk to Nathan after services, as he thinks about this wonderful way of how we can do this. But when we think about this, we need to see and appreciate that God has lanes we're supposed to stay in. And sometimes the goodness of a heart will say, I don't see what's wrong with just doing something like that. Now this evening, as we get to our chair series, we're going to bring up a question that happens quite a bit. What if somebody drove up here right now, mom, dad, and four or five kids in the back seat, and you could tell by the way they dressed that they were poor. And the dad says, can you give me some money to feed us? And we got baskets we've just collected full of money. Stay in your lane. What can we do? We're going to answer that tonight. I'm not going to tell you now. <laughs> Come back tonight. We're going to answer that question. But that's what I want you to see. The goodness of our heart, the amount of good being done, doesn't justify us moving out of our lane. Because Jesus said, the poor you always have with you. You will never eliminate the need. God has a purpose for the church. It's got to stay in its lane. But that doesn't stop good being done by you, by me, by others. And that's what I want us to see. There's a difference from the money in my wallet and the money I gave this morning. And the money in my wallet can go to a lot of places that the money over there cannot. It has a lane. I have a lane. We need to appreciate that. There was a CEO who was just devastated by the lack of productivity at his plant. I mean, they were not producing the numbers. The people just weren't working. So he showed up one day at the plant. There was a young guy just leaning against the wall. And that just infuriated the CEO. He went up to him and says, young man, come here. He walked over there. How much do you make in a week? I don't know. I guess $300. CEO reached his pocket whipped out $1,200 in cash. Take this, leave, I never want to see you again. He was so mad. Kid walked away. Turned to some, another co-worker. What was that guy's job? Guy said, well, he's a pizza delivery guy. <laughs> but productivity, productivity. We cannot live our faith through the church. You have to have a direct line to Jesus. You cannot live the work that you're supposed to be doing through the church. You need to be busy in Jesus. And that great Matthew 25 passage, when Jesus gathered them together one by one, I was hungry, but you
but you didn't do anything. I was thirsty, and you didn't do anything. I was naked, you didn't do anything. I was in prison, you didn't do anything. Now, he's not rebuking the churches there. He's rebuking the individual disciples. So from this lesson, especially at this holiday season, I want you to think about this. This is not something that we're just, as we think about Thanksgiving, we're just thankful in November. We flip the calendar and say, good, I'm done. I don't have to be thankful anymore because we're done with Thanksgiving. Now we're in December. It's time to be generous. Until we get to January, then I'm done. I don't have to be generous anymore. No, we should always have that kind of heart. And we need to appreciate what lane the church travels in. And some of our brethren throughout the years have forgotten that. And they have the church today doing all kinds of things you cannot read in the scriptures. What the church does, there's a lane for. What you do, there's a lane for. But all this comes back from a heart, a heart that cares, a heart that realizes God has been generous to me. And that's what we need to see. So if you got some questions about this lesson, see us afterwards. Come back tonight where we're going to kind of push this a little bit further and look at a lot of different tangents on this and we hope it will be helpful for you as we consider this concept that God's church, God's work, God's way, those are three phrases that we are looking and linked together here. It's more if you're not a Christian. There's only one way you become one, that's by following Jesus Christ in the Bible. You've got to repent of your sins, you've got to be baptized, and you've got to walk with Jesus. And as a disciple, God has expectations. When you walk into that office tomorrow as a worker, God has expectations. You walk in that classroom as a student, God has expectations of you. When you're at the store, God has expectations. When that rude driver cuts you off, oh yes, God has expectations of you. Wherever you go, Whatever you are, you're always a child of Jesus, and that never changes. If you're subject, once you come, as we stand and sing.